Hi, I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Hello and welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 314. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and with me today is our birthday girl, Valerie George. Hello, Valerie. Hi, Perry. Well, thank you so much for joining us on your birthday. Well, I want to keep our streak going. (laughs) That's right. And... To keep that street going, we're going to be answering questions on today's show, including ones about whether the toxins in cosmetics can build up in your body, why a brand can sell you a product with more than 2% salicylic acid in it, how cosmetics can change colors when applied to the skin, and what products are really worth splurging on. But before that, some of our inane chit-chat, Valerie. So the big birthday today, and then you're heading out on a big trip, too. Yeah, so it's the big birthday, 40. A lot of people don't believe I am now 40 years old. I don't believe it at all. I know. Someone <laughs> did say, oh, my God, I thought you were 27 turning 28 earlier this week. And I was like, thanks. But no, I, I have good skin, I guess. I'm part of it's genetic. Uh, but Mr. Cosmetic Chemist is treating me to a very big trip. We are going to Germany to visit my family. Mr. Cosmetic Chemist has never been. And so oh. I'm going to show him uh, the village I grew up in, have lunch with my mentor, see Heidelberg Castle, which is one of my favorite places, and do more family stuff. And then we're going to head off to a lovely vacation in Slovakia. Slovakia, capital uh, Bratislava, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, That's actually where we're headed first uh, on the trip, but oh. we're going to see the whole country. It's a tour of the whole country. Wow. Well, yeah. I haven't been there, but uh, looking forward to it sometime. Yeah. I actually just got back from a vacation. Okay. Where'd you go? Well, if we did a driving vacation to Asheville, North Carolina. Oh, what a great place. Was- yeah, 11-hour drive, but uh, yeah, lots of great food, lots of great breweries, and a lot of great hiking. Yeah, I believe we were supposed to record, and you said, oh, I hit too many breweries up. We can't. <laughs> that, <laughs> I'm too right. tired. So, yeah. Uh, I was a little little, little wiped out. There. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? There was a lot of drama before I left on this vacation, because okay. remember remember the porch kitties? Yeah. Like the kittens? I had them in my basement. <laughs> And I didn't have anyone to watch the kittens while I was gone. So you let them fend for them themselves. You said, kittens, no, you're can't. adults now. Take care <laughs> of right. yourself. Here's a big bag of food in a litter box. Goodbye. If only you could do that. Although I wonder how long you can leave a cat. I don't like to leave a cat for more than 24 hours. My but. friend says it's about five days. Five days. Well, there you go. So somewhere between there. Well, anyway, so I call up the shelter that I was going to give these cats to. And they say, sorry, we can't take them. So now I'm scrambling the day before, like something to do with these kittens. And I went to, I called a bunch of other shelters. Nobody could take them. I finally went to this shelter by my house, who, which is run by this lady. She's like the meanest lady that you would know. She's like got a heart of gold, but she is like uh, really mean. Okay. <laughs> so I, said, I, I said like... Hey, could I have a like a little cardboard box as a carrier? And she says, "You don't put cats in a cardboard box. That's terrible." <laughs> like, oh my oh, gosh! Sorry. <laughs> She's like, and I suggested, well, you know, maybe I could. T- should I take them to animal control? She's like, "You don't take them to animal control. They'll kill them." <laughs> like, okay, oh, then can you sorry. take them? 
<laughs> right, and she couldn't take them. Although, she did help me find uh, one. I had to drive like an hour away from my house. There was a shelter out in LaGrange, and I finally got to give the kittens to them. And they won't so, kill them. They will not kill them. They're going to adopt them out. Little beneath three, Big Tippy, and the little smidge who... He still needs a little socializing, but uh, yeah, it was sad to see him go, but now I am kittenless. Oh, good. Oh, good. And is Ted happy they're gone? Uh, I think so. Ted was Ted went on vacation, too. When we went on vacation, we dropped him off at my sister-in-law so they he can play with their cat because they're like frenemies. So. <laughs> <laughs> All cats are frenemies. There's no friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, Valerie, there was one other thing that I saw on my vacation there was a, I like to go into whatever cosmetic stores I ever find. Yeah, you know, me and there too. was one that was selling natural cosmetic stuff, you know. So I always like to check that out. But they had this one thing. This was a cosmetic store, but the, then also a candle store. And they had these candles that, that her pitch was that, oh, you burn this candle and then you can use the liquid as a lotion. <laughs> is this a common thing? It is a old thing that yeah. is now coming back again. A lot of oh. people are requesting, you know, I've spoken with a couple of fragrance houses. A lot of people are requesting candle safe fragrances that can also be used on body as a massage candle. Huh. Yeah, it's, it's becoming a thing again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I think they use shea butter and coconut oil in the candle and then somehow that can be turned into a lotion, I guess. Well, yeah, you just let it cool a tiny bit and then you pour it on skin. I don't think these are the best products because you need very specific waxes to make a clean burning candle that works well with the fragrance load that you typically have to put in candles and can burn. And then it also needs to be things that feel really nice on skin and they often aren't the same thing. So I'm not a fan of these products personally. It's like if you want a candle, keep it as a candle. If you want a lotion, get a lotion. Right. Also, it removes the risk of burning yourself. Well, there's that too. Because the, the woman at the store, she's like, oh, yeah, this is a lotion. And she's like tilting. While it's lit, she's tilting the liquid so I can stick my finger in there. So yeah. I, I didn't burn my hand, but I did singe off the little hairs that were on my knuckles. Yeah, don't use that as a sensual candle, that's for sure. No. All right. Well, if you like wax candles that turn into lotion, let us know. Because I tried the, the lotion part of it. And, you know, it felt just like kind of an emollient, but it didn't feel like a particularly good lotion. But No, it's waterless. I mean, and I think you have to have water in a lotion to help differ, d- deliver humectants. Yeah, exactly. All right, on to the questions. Susan says, I just became a patron. I was listening to the podcast and I thought, what if Hair Story was a sponsor? We'd never get the truth. I want to help keep you sponsor-free. Well, thanks for that, Susan. We appreciate your support. Exactly. And if you want to be a patron on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. That does keep us from having to take on commercials, which uh, I think will insert some sort of bias. Even even if we try not to be biased, if you're getting money from somebody, you, you can't help but be. Yeah. Anyway, back to Susan's question. I was listening to someone on another podcast say that even if toxins are at a safe level, they're not because they're in so many products and they build up to be harmful levels in your body. Is this just clean makeup hype? Well, that is a very interesting question. And to be honest with you, this is actually something that is looked at in safety testing. Oh, yes, it is. So 
to get to the answer, you have to understand what does happen to a toxin or what happens to anything when it goes in your body. Now, if you are eating stuff, it goes in your digestive system, it goes to your stomach, it gets broken down. The stuff that your body can use uh, gets shunted into your bloodstream. The rest of the stuff goes down the intestines and ultimately out the other end. So that's what happens. So if something can't be digested, if it's if it's a toxic or something, it'll go out either in urine or feces. That's uh, what those systems are for. Exactly. When you see a study and it's saying that, oh, hey, these compounds are being detected in urine, people may get scared and say, oh, my gosh, they're going into our bloodstream and blah, blah, blah. And it's actually a great thing to find them in urine. It means your body's not hanging on to them. Exactly. Now, your body does have a couple of organs to get rid of stuff, to break down toxins specifically, and the main one is the liver. Which is why I will never eat liver of another organism, (laughs) even though it's high in vitamin A, but whatever. Sure. (laughs) No, that's an excellent point. Uh, Plus, it tastes nasty. (laughs) Liver just (laughs) terrible to me. Not good. Yeah. Yeah, not at all. So now the stuff, some of the stuff can now get into your into your bloodstreams because usually if stuff is going through the digestive system, if, if the body can't use it, it doesn't even get into your bloodstream. It just stays in there. But, you know, something going through your skin care that's going to penetrate through your skin, which, you know, most stuff doesn't. This The concern of like lead in lipstick, you know, that's not really getting into your body to any significant extent. But you know, some things do go through the body as proven by the, like the nicotine patches. Clearly that nicotine is getting through the skin into Mm -hmm, the body somehow. mm -hmm. So there are ingredients and even parabens can get into your body uh, through the bloodstream. Now the blood then can be filtered out through the kidneys. It goes again through the liver and all of that stuff ultimately gets removed by the uh, rest of the digestive system. And I I do want to say, as Perry mentioned earlier, when ingredients are being reviewed for toxicology safety, they're looking at accumulation in the body. So it's not something that's not thought about. I wouldn't worry too much about toxins in your products, aside from the safety studies that have been done. Uh, it's illegal to put toxins in there anyway. So yeah, I think it's just yeah. clean, clean makeup hype. I would agree. This does sound like a clean makeup hype. Whenever someone's trying to scare you, about ingredients, uh, you can pretty much be rest assured it's probably fear marketing because you know what? Unfortunately, fear marketing is pretty effective. (laughs) Sure is. Our next question comes to us from Alicia, another one of our patrons. Alicia says, hey, Beauty Brains, I have a few questions. I'm wondering how certain companies like Paula's Choice are able to sell products with salicylic acid at higher than a 2% strength. Secondly, could vitamin A supplements help acne since retinol is a form of vitamin A? And in what way uh, would a vitamin A supplement be different from something like retinol, retinoids, or Accutane? Wow, two great questions. I guess the first one is is rather easy. I mean, if I was looking at the cosmetic ingredient review and it says salicylic acid is safe for use up to 3%. So it's within range of what other companies are doing. So 2% is is not uh, unexpected. And if you can formulate products, uh, that's pretty easy to do. 
The CIR is the safety review panel in the United States, but the SCCS in the EU has also reviewed salicylic acid, both as a preservative and as a non-preservative use. Uh, But you can also use it up to 3% in rinse-off products and 2% in leave-on in the EU, depending on the type of leave-on product it is, and other products up to a half a percent. So product format is is uh you know very important i will say yeah, and it makes sense that it makes sense that safety information or safety of ingredients does depend on format so if you have an ingredient that you just put on and rinse off right away that has less time to get into the body uh, than something say like a leave-on product and so that you will often find different uh safety ranges that you can use for a leave-on product versus a rinse off product now i will say Alicia's not too far off in asking why is it more than 2% is possible um, in the Polish Choice range. Where is she getting the 2%? Well, in the United States, salicylic acid is monographed at up to 2% for treating acne. So uh, we often have this conception that, oh, the maximum is 2%. Yes, if it's monographed for treating acne, you can use salicylic acid for exfoliating or clearing pores and you could use it at higher levels within that range. The reason that it's, say it's monographed up to 2% is because they don't find any additional benefit, at least for acne, above 2%. Mm-hmm. Now, when a, a brand like Paula's Choice puts 3%, often these brands, will, they're doing like a numbers game because uh, like fear marketing, number marketing is effective too. And so if one brand says, oh, this is 2%, and another brand says, oh, 3%, people automatically assume 3% is better, even though that extra percentage isn't giving you any extra benefit. The next question is also really interesting because so many people like to use topically applied retinoids for treating acne and for anti-aging. Retinoids are uh, precursors of vitamin A, retinoic acid, which is the active form within our bodies. Yeah, and the question is about... uh, can you just take supplements instead of taking a, a vitamin, I guess, or instead of taking a medicine? Uh, at least it's a medicine in the United States. Accutane is a synthetic form of vitamin A that gets prescribed by doctors uh, to treat acne. Uh, but it, it's understandable. It's a version of vitamin A, so why can't you just take vitamin A? I would say that It's because pharmaceuticals are highly regulated. You're under the care of a physician. Supplements are not as regulated. I'll be nice. It's my birthday. (laughs) Um, And so who knows what you're getting with these vitamin A supplements. It might not even be an active form. It may be at a dose that you're taking it and you could have toxic levels of vitamin A in your body. Vitamin A toxicity is a real thing. It's something to be cautious of. Absolutely. And... The thing is, the supplement companies will say, oh, yeah, we're highly, we use quality control and we're highly controlled. Uh, but the evidence is that uh, that's not exactly true because there have been numerous times or, or companies have gone in, bought stuff off the shelves, and they've not found uh, what's claimed on the bottle is not what's in the thing. So you do not want to, you know, supplement a supplement with a with a drug or you don't want to supplement a drug with a supplement 
because no. there's just no quality control. You're not, and when you're taking Accutane, you are going to be under a doctor's care. You're going to have blood tests. You're going to make sure that it's not at a toxic level. Uh, all of the things that Valerie said about vitamin A toxicity, they're real. So basically, I don't think it's a good idea to substitute uh, a, a supplement for a drug. And if you are taking vitamin A, when you do go to your doctor, I think that's something that you should disclose to them. A lot of people might not write down all the vitamins and supplements that they're vitamins and supplements that they're taking. But I think it's really important with something like vitamin A where toxicity can be an issue to disclose that. That's actually one of the warnings when taking Accutane, the warning is that you have to don't, don't take it with vitamin A. Um, because it can lead to vitamin A toxicity. Yeah, good point. And I would say don't even take uh, vitamin A instead of Accutane. I would just focus on the drugs that have proven results. So there goes all the there goes all the supplement money we were going to get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oops. Uh, yeah. Ready for an audio question? Oh yeah, let's hear it. Hello, beauty brains. I absolutely love your show. My question is about lip colors and blushes that change to pink from clear when you apply them to your skin. These claim to be responding to your skin's natural pH. What acid-base indicators are in this product? I teach high school chemistry and I would love to use more cosmetic chemistry examples with my students. Do we all have slightly different pH values or is it the same acid-base indicator showing up as different hues on our faces? Thank you so much. Well, what a cool question. Yeah, and I would like to commend Hillary for being a high school chemistry teacher. I did that for one year at a private school under an emergency teaching license, and I had a lot of fun doing it, but it was also very stressful. Some of the kids are, one kid threw a chair at me. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, Hillary, awesome that you're looking to incorporate that. So Perry, are you familiar with these products? I think uh, long ago, uh, we covered this on the Beauty Brains uh, many years ago, but I think that was back when uh, the other guy was writing some stuff. So this wasn't one that I specifically covered, but I do recall this technology. Well, this technology has been around for decades and decades and decades and decades, actually probably longer than I've been on this planet, which is 40 <laughs> years exactly as of today. <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah. Congratulations for another lap around the sun. Yeah. Anyway, this is a pretty standard issue trick. And I'll tell you first a little bit how colorants work, and then you'll understand why one specific colorant, and there's a couple others as well, is used in cosmetic products to do this. So for anything to uh, portray color to our eyes, it has to be a chromophore. So it typically has a benzene ring um, that's aromatic with electrons being conjugated in and out of this ring system. And so these items appear as a color within our eyes. Now the way that, but the way that works is like light will bounce off mm -hmm. it, right? These, yeah. these don't actually generate the color themselves and shoot it yes. out, actually light will come out, it bounces off. And... Right, the electrons get excited and because they're conjugated in this ring system and, and kind of dancing around, you'll see a color for your eyes. In the case of colorants, they often are pH sensitive because a change in pH will either push electrons into the ring or pull electrons out of the ring, and that will shift the color that our eyes see. So at one pH, something could be blue, and at another pH, it could be red. 
And this is an effect of whether or not electrons are being pushed into and out of this ring system. That reminds me of that in, in first year chemistry, you always the, the ingredient you always use is a phenolphthalein or something like that. Yeah, we don't use yeah. that in, in cosmetics, but we do use right. colorants that offer this same effect. So one of the most famous colorants that's used to create this effect is red 21. When it is not in any water, when it's in an anhydrous product like a lipstick or a cream blush, it's not going to contribute any color at all. In fact, you'll even see colorless lipsticks that are totally clear that have red 21 in them. And the moment Ah. it swipes on your lips, it's going to shift to red. And that's because of the water that's prevalent on your skin content is going to solubilize this red dye and turn it red. Now, pH certainly plays a role because where there's water, you'll have a pH. But most people's skin, whether it's their lips or their cheeks, are kind of within the same pH values. It's not like you have someone with a pH of 4.5 and someone with a pH of 8, and you're going to get these totally wild different colors. For the most part, everyone's in this 4 to 6 range, depending on what's going on and, and what part of the skin they're looking at and how their skin barrier is. So I would say pH probably plays less of a role. And maybe it's water content where if someone intrinsically has more water content on the skin, you might see more red. And even more so, I think the fact that people have different skin tones um, and different natural lip colors or cheek colors already will play into some of the underlying pigment that will be underneath this red 21 that you put on your skin, which makes it look more custom. So I think it has less to do with pH and more with these other factors. Yeah, the story of why it changes and how it's customized to your skin is is really more of the marketing piece because every pretty much everybody's skin is going to change the color of this to to see to get some color. So it's it's more marketing, but it does actually work. So yeah, it's real chemistry, which is pretty cool. Yeah. You know, that does get to another part of her question, though. It's like, are there some other examples that would be helpful? And and the only thing I can really think of is. It's always very cool to show how oil and water do not mix, and then you put a detergent or a surfactant in there, some cleansing product, and you can get them to to mix together, the emulsification process. The other thing um, you could do is even, um, you know, it's not a cosmetics example, although you could show them this cosmetic. It's the same thing with cabbage. You can use cabbage as a pH indicator in soap making if you don't have access to a pH meter or whatnot. So you could extrapolate it to other um, types of examples. But yeah, lipstick is one of them. Very cool. All right, we got time for one more question. Comes to us from uh, Ian. Hi, Beauty Brains. My question is, what items are worth splurging on? When thinking back across your episodes, I'm pretty sure, it was suggested to consider putting more money into conditioner rather than shampoo, moisturizers and serums over face wash, and I'm sure I've missed a few others. What about solo treatments like face masks, hair masks, compared to daily use items, moisturizers and conditioners? Do you have a save or splurge list that you could share, even if it is only your personal preference. And thanks. Yeah, great question. I'm pretty sure we have said these things in the past. Everything they said in the question is, uh, I think we would agree with, right? Yeah, for sure. A lot of it does come down to personal preference. And I think there are some exceptions. So for example, there are really nice shampoos you can splurge on. 
just for me, I know that the conditioner is doing most of the work and I would rather spend the money on one of my favorite conditioners that's a little pricey versus a shampoo. Right. The experience of using a shampoo certainly can differ uh, from cheap shampoos to more expensive shampoos, although you can find some plenty of uh, inexpensive shampoos that perform great. Uh, but as far as performance goes, if you are going to use a conditioner anyway, I mean, using the 99 cent uh, VO5 shampoo, I always find was perfectly fine too. Perfectly fine. Yeah. And I think as far as hair masks go, yeah, are there a couple nice hair masks that I've encountered on the market and they're great? Sure. But I honestly think if you spend your money on a really great conditioner you love, you don't need the weekly hair mask. And so you could save on that. So I think it also depends where you're splurging and, and spending um, and saving on other items. So if you're skimping right. on the shampoo and conditioner, but then you buy a really great hair mask, you know, that's fine. If you're buying an awesome conditioner, I, I don't think you need to splurge on the hair masks. And a hair mask is, it's an experience, right? And so it's, it's just a different experience than a daily conditioner. However, you know, is it worth spending money on? If you like that experience, but as far as making your hair better, you know, you're not going to get, you're not going to get more from a hair mask than you would out of a good daily conditioner. Yeah. And I think on face masks and peels and very specific face treatments, I do think these are worth splurging on versus the daily essentials, because for the most part, if, as long as you're using a, you know, a nice face wash that works with your skin type, a nice serum, a nice moisturizer, and you have a routine down and you're taking care of your skin on a daily basis, you don't have to super splurge on these items. But by investing in a great peel or weekly treatment or enzyme cleanser or scrub or whatnot, when you invest there, I think if you can supplement it with a simple routine, I think you'll get a lot of great skin results. Now, if you have a skin problem like hyperpigmentation or rough dry patches, you may need to splurge on a very specific product to treat your skin. Um, but again, you know, I think most people who have average skin should be fine. I also think it's generally makes sense that if you're going to splurge on something, you splurge on the leave-on stuff mm -hmm. and don't splurge on the rinse-off stuff because pretty much anything that gets rinsed off gets rinsed away and it's not going to be as effective as something that can sit on your skin or in the stratum corneum layers of your skin and continue to uh, have, a, have a function. Uh, once you rinse something off, I always see these hyaluronic acid facial products that get rinsed off. I'm like... Yeah, all the hyaluronic acid just went down the drain. Congratulations. Yeah, not a good use of it. Yeah. Right. So, you know, Pear, I was thinking we could have answered this a different way by playing a game like we'll name a product and then I say save or splurge or you say sure. save or splurge. But then I quickly realized like, you know, you're probably just going to be like save, 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 save. <laughs> yes. And it wouldn't be too fun. No, it would be it would be more fun with somebody else. <laughs> Maybe cerebellum. Yes, we'll have cerebellum yeah. come on the show next time. Actually, save and splurge. We'll do an Instagram <laughs> post about it. Maybe cerebellum could answer some questions, and we'll just put a little Instagram post out. I love it. Great yeah, idea. Yeah. Well, that's all the time we have, Perry. I've got to go celebrate my Gabertz tog. That's right. You've got the big, uh, 
big birthday celebration going on. Have fun with that. Have fun on your trip. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. If you get a chance, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. That's going to help other people find the show and ensure we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. And, of course, the Beauty Brains are on Patreon. If you want to support the show and keep us ad-free and unbiased, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. And if you have a question and you want to hear your voice on the show like we had one today, just record it on your smartphone and email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on our various social media accounts on Instagram at thebeautybrains2018, on Twitter we're at thebeautybrains, and we have a Facebook page and a TikTok. Sounds like so much fun, and we've stayed out of all of the drama on the social medias so far, so that's fun. (laughs) Awesome. All right, well, thanks again for listening, everyone, and remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone, and happy birthday, Valerie. Kittens.